The New Testament, sorry, the sermon text is then John chapter 13. John chapter 13, picking up in verse 18, where we all left off last Sunday. John chapter 13, verses 18 through 35. So this is on the night in which he was betrayed, that last supper, that last Passover meal, the evening before his crucifixion, right after he washed the feet of his disciples in the upper room. Uh, now he continues to, ex- to speak as he had just spoken to them, telling them to wash one another's feet, even as he had washed their feet, their Lord and Master, as he was. Now pick up in verse 18. I am not speaking of all of you. I know whom I have chosen, but the scripture will be fulfilled. He who ate my bread has lifted his heel against me. I am telling you this now, before it takes place, that when it does take place, you may believe that I am he. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever receives the one I send receives me, and whoever receives me receives the one who sent me. After saying these things, Jesus was troubled in his spirit and testified, Truly, truly, I say to you, one of you will betray me. The disciples looked at one another, uncertain of whom he spoke. One of his disciples, whom Jesus loved, was reclining at table at Jesus' side. So Simon Peter motioned to him to ask Jesus of whom he was speaking. So that disciple, leaning back against Jesus, said to him, Lord, who is it? Jesus answered, It is he to whom I will give this morsel of bread when I, when I have dipped it. So when he had dipped the morsel, he gave it to Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot. Then after he had taken the morsels, Satan entered into him. Jesus said to him, What you are going to do, do quickly. Now no one at the table knew why he had said this to him. Some thought that because Judas had the money bag, Jesus was telling him, buy what we need for the feast, or that he should give something to the poor. So after receiving the morsel of bread, he immediately went out, and it was night. When he had gone out, Jesus said, now is the Son of Man glorified, and God is glorified in him. If God is glorified in him, God will also glorify him in himself, and glorify him at once. Little children... Yet a little while I am with you. You will seek me. And just as I said to the Jews, so now I also say to you, where I am going, you cannot come. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. By this all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. This is the word of the Lord. Let us pray for God's blessing upon his word. Oh, Father, we thank you for your kindness in giving us the good news of Jesus Christ and for delivering these words to us that we might believe and have hope in believing, knowing that we have eternal life in him, in his name. We pray that you would build us up and direct us that we might understand and and, 
benefit from the words that we have heard read. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. As Jesus was speaking to his disciples at this supper, Jesus knew that his time had come, that the time of his crucifixion was imminent. Now, his disciples did not know this. When Jesus said, what you are going to do, do quickly, when he told that to Judas, what was Judas about to do? What was, was Judas about to give something to the poor? Was Judas about to buy some more food for the feast? Had they run out of lamb or something? And No. Was he about to betray Jesus? And was that going to lead to his death very soon? But the disciples didn't know that. But Jesus knew that. And he knew that his time had come. And in light of this impending crucifixion, Jesus taught a lesson to his disciples. Not only that, he gave them a commandment. What's the difference between a commandment and advice? What's the difference, do you think, any of you children, between advice and a commandment? Do you need to follow advice? Yeah, usually it's good to follow advice, depending on who's giving it. It's like, oh, I think you should do this. This would be a good idea. But a commandment is something that is, comes with authority. That someone who is in charge tells you, you ought to do this. You must do this. And you are disobeying if you don't do it. Which one did Jesus give his disciples as he was going to leave them? Did he give them an advice or did he give them a commandment? He gave them a commandment. He said, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. And not only that, that you love one another just as he has loved you. In this passage, we find, first of all, that his impending crucifixion is set into motion as Jesus speaks of his betrayal and as Judas leaves to do it. And then secondly, after Judas has left, Jesus speaks of how his hour of glory had come and of his new commandment for them. So first in verses 18 through 30, we find that he who ate his bread would betray Jesus. It would be someone who ate the bread that Jesus shared, someone who ate with him, someone who was one of his followers that would betray Jesus. Jesus had been speaking of serving one another, washing one another's feet as fellow disciples of a Lord who had washed their feet. And he had said, if you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. But then he clarifies that he's not speaking of all of you. Not all of them. He knew whom he had chosen. He knew them very well. And he knew that there was one of them that didn't fit. One of these disciples who would leave. He knew that Judas would betray him. And he refers to Psalm 41.9. When he says... But the scripture will be fulfilled. He who ate my bread has lifted his heel against me. 
that refers to in that psalm, which is about this man. It seems like he's on his sickbed and he's having a miserable time. Of course, we know the man who wrote it. That was David. And he's on a sickbed and things are miserable and his friends have turned against him and people give empty words, but really they are just waiting for him to die. And even his close friend, even my close friend in whom I trusted, who ate my bread, has lifted his heel against me. To lift his heel against him is, is a metaphor for turning against him, for betraying him, for as we, we often say is our phrase, stabbing him in the back, you know, not fighting him face to face. But when he's not looking, the person who's supposed to watch your back, stab you in the back. Well, this betrayal, this type of betrayal, this betrayal that would happen, it fulfilled this type, this pattern from the Psalms, from the Psalms of David, that's the heir of David, that Jesus would suffer in the same way. And this betrayal troubled Jesus. Jesus was troubled in his mind or in his spirit and he spoke of what troubled him and what is it that troubled him truly truly i say to you one of you will betray me this was a troubling thing to jesus even though he knew it ahead of time it wasn't taking him by surprise but for one of his friends for one of his disciples to turn on him and betray him was a troubling thing it was not merely a physical pain, but also a mental pain or a, a soulish pain that he experienced throughout these sufferings for us. And the betrayal took place in the context of a close relationship. Consider how close Jesus was with his disciples. Literally, they were close. They were leaning on each other. They were reclining at table. They were experiencing the Passover meal and a meal that was shared with close hospitality, we find even that John, the disciple, the, the one whom Jesus loved, and that's the first time this phrase shows up to refer to John in the Gospel of John. It's going to show up several other times. Does it mean that John's the only disciple Jesus loved? No, but it's from the author, and he's saying, Jesus loved me. And that's how he's going to refer to himself. Doesn't even refer to himself by name. But one of his disciples whom Jesus loved, because I know Jesus loves me. John was his name, and he reclined in the bosom of Jesus. And the ESV puts it a little weakly by saying that he was seated at Jesus' side, but literally that he was leaning upon his chest. And that's kind of more of the posture that would have been there, is they're leaning, reclining against each other, and as he's going to ask Jesus a question, he just leans back, kind of like Catherine's doing right there, and asks him a question saying, Hey, Jesus, who is it that's going to betray you? But they are right there, side by side, eating together, and that is where the betrayal would take place. That language of reclining in his bosom would be used to describe how the Son dwells with the Father in chapter 1. Verse 18, how the Son, who is in the bosom of the Father, has made him known. Of course, there it's more metaphorical language. Here, though, it's very literal that they were sitting together at this meal in close fellowship with one another. Now, the betrayer was pointed out by Jesus. Jesus indicated who it was ahead of time to John. 
Apparently not to everyone, but as John, who was sitting right next to him, asked Jesus, who is it that's going to betray you? How did Jesus point out who is the betrayer? Did he just point his finger and say, there he is? No, he used the hospitality. He used the morsel of bread. He said, I'm going to give this morsel of bread after I've dipped it to the one who's going to betray me. So he dips it, and then he gives it as he would share food with a friend to someone who apparently was sitting very close to him because he doesn't, you know, have to throw it over the table. He passes it to Judas, who then takes it. Judas was the one who would betray Jesus. And as the psalm says, he would take his bread, take the bread of Jesus, share this meal with him. It doesn't seem like the Lord's Supper itself was being instituted yet. There's debate about was Judas there when the Lord's Supper was instituted or not. But at the very least, the Passover bread, this meal that was shared together, was shared. But as he took this bread, Satan entered into Judas. Satan had already been working with Judas, tempting him, putting this idea into his head, and now further uh, working in Judas to go ahead to betray his master. This betrayal was done both by Judas and by Satan. Jesus knew what was going to happen. He sent Judas to get on with it. What you're going to do, do quickly. Jesus did not approve of this, but he wanted him to go ahead and, and get it done. Do what you're about to do. And so Judas received the bread and immediately went out to betray Jesus that night. Now Judas was not the last hypocrite to live among the church. John, the Apostle John, would have to address other people like Judas in 1 John. They went out from us because they were not of us. If they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out from us. Uh, that's, it might be plain that they were not of us. Uh, he deals with those who were hypocrites, who were apostates, who had shook the assurance and confidence of the church by their defection, by their apostasy, and he was building them up by his letter, 1 John, because this thing can be overwhelming when, when those fall away from the faith, the faith that they had once so possessed side by side with one another. The church must not be overwhelmed when it happens. We've seen examples in scripture of it happening. But it's all right to be troubled by it. But follow the example of Jesus, who knew that it was happening, who knew that it was coming, and continued to show love and generosity until hypocrisy was manifest. We don't have the insight of Jesus to know behind the scenes. So until the hypocrisy comes out, we don't hold ourselves back so we don't ever get hurt, but rather continue to love one another and to keep a watch on ourselves that the love of money does not blind us to serving our master but look at this in particular as the betrayal of our lord and savior as part of his suffering that he experienced for your sins for your sake part of his suffering was to be betrayed by his friend one of the disciples he had called, who had followed him probably for years, who had been so entrusted that he had been given their money as the treasurer of the disciples. 
the one who ate with them. And he would be the one to sell Jesus out, to give their location to the ones who wanted to kill him, to give them the perfect opportunity in the dead of night to snatch him when, he would be, when they would be safe from the crowds. He would be a key point in the plan of the, of the Sanhedrin, Jesus' enemies, to take him and to lead him away to death. When Judas went out, the death of Jesus was set into motion. It would be only a matter of time, and Jesus knew this. He was troubled, but he was in control, and he went forward willingly. And so knowing this, he tells his disciples he's going away. And what does he give them? He gives them a new commandment, that you love one another. You find this is in verse 31 through 35. In these verses, Jesus speaks of his crucifixion as his glorification. The Son of Man is glorified, speaking now of this moment that has come. He was to be glorified. God would be glorified in him, and God would be glorifying him in it. Uh, Both the Father and the Son being glorified in this crucifixion. That uh, God's love for us being shown and that he sent his beloved Son and the Son's love for us being shown that He willingly went to the cross for us. The justice of God revealed as it's perfectly satisfied in the death of Christ. The grace and love of God being shown by providing salvation for sinners. The cross's glory as His people is redeemed and His attributes upheld and demonstrated and the spiritual forces of evil and death are overcome. So Jesus was about to embark on this path of glory, leading to his resurrection, to his ascension, to heaven, and he would, in a sense, leave his disciples. They would not be able to follow, at least right away, where he was going. And so what does he leave them with? He gives them a commandment. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. By this all people will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. Now how is this new? Was this a new thing that we ought to love one another? Did the Old Testament ever tell us to love people? Yes, the Old Testament told us to love people. It told us, love your neighbor as yourself. That's that part of Jesus' summary of the law came from Leviticus. tells us to love the Lord our God. So yes, it told us to love one another. So what is new about this commandment? Well, it's new because he's giving it to them right then. I guess that would be one explanation. But I think what's new about it is the demonstration of Christ's love in dying for us. That the full commandment is, just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. And what was new is that we learn the love of God in him sending his son and in Christ himself laying down his life for his friends. And that's what makes this commandment new. A new commandment given that just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. So just as I have loved you is the pattern of the commandment. It's describing the type of love we should show for one another. It's also the motive for the commandment. That's having received this love of Christ, 
that we should love one another, that seeing that He has loved these people in this way, that we should also love the same people in the same way. Consider this sacrificial love of Jesus. It's a moving example even when it's considered for others, that Jesus went through such lengths and suffering, even though He was God-exalted above all, that He knew no pain or suffering, that he dwelt in eternity and bliss and glory, and he took upon human nature voluntarily. It was the Father's will, and he did this not because God needed it, but because we needed it, that he took upon human nature, that he might suffer, that he might be troubled, that he might be tormented, that our sins would be laid upon him, and he did this out of love. Love for those who are lost and who are doomed. That would be great enough, except then it's even made a stronger motive, a stronger example when you realize it's for you, that you are in this need, that you had sinned against God and were in danger of death forever, of suffering forever, of alienation from God forever. And who came to rescue you? It was Jesus who laid down his life for you. But this is the love of God, the love of Jesus, which we are to imitate. His love is sacrificial. He suffered out of, out of love for, for the people he loved. He laid down his life. He gave himself up. This love is beneficial. It did good to the people he loved. It was no vain thing. It was not a passing thought, but he did good to those whom he loved. It was also an affectionate love. See how he loved Lazarus, such that Lazarus' death brought him to, to tears. It was no cold thing. It was no, well, I'm loving because I'm fulfilling all my duties towards them. It was an affectionate love that he showed for his people. And it was also a love that shared fellowship with him. He loved his people so that he would bring them to himself and share eternity forever with them. A love that brought them close, that brought you close to him, that we might have fellowship with him and with the Father. As John wrote in his epistle, by this we know love, that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. And so the command, what's the command? You must love one another. You are to love one another as he loved you. Imitate the example of the love of Jesus. Love one another with sacrificial love at cost to yourself, looking to their interests. Even if you have to give something up, even if it's inconvenient for you, to love uh, others in ways that are beneficial to them, that it might involve, you know, giving them things that are helpful to them. They are in need of food and water to give them that. Uh, if they are uh, to, to do things that are beneficial to people, to, to brothers in Christ, sisters in Christ. Love one another with love that is affectionate, that is involving the whole person, not merely reduced to actions, although it involving them too. And love that shares fellowship, that we rejoice in the fellowship of the saints, and that we participate together in, in worship and 
mutual edification and sharing one another's company. Exercise this love towards the brothers, toward your fellow Christians, certainly for, towards the members of your local church as you have greatest opportunities there to know them well and to help them. But this extends to all fellow Christians, whether you come across them in the workplace or come across them in your lunch or your, your daily life at the playground, uh, that you ought to love your fellow Christian, your brother and sister in Christ, as you have opportunity. And remember, is this advice or is this a command? Any of the children, is this an advice or a command? Command. It's a command, a new commandment I give to you. And then he gives the consequence of this and an additional motive. By this all people will know that you are my disciples. By this, by loving one another, all people will know that you are my disciples. Christ's disciples are expected to follow his example of love and to obey his commandment of love. And so those who follow his example and obey his commandment to love one another show themselves to be his disciples. If you're wondering, who who are the disciples of Christ? It's going to be those who are following Christ, those who love one another, who love other disciples of Christ. That's a visible sign of them. That it's them. This is also a language that the world can understand. That they can see it and behold it and recognize this love being exercised. They might mock it. They might try to ignore it. They might discount it because it's those people who believe those crazy things. But love is a a language that the world can understand and see. And might hold their tongue if they're ready to slander the name of Christ or or even win them to a hearing of the gospel. Even if it's not, it is a sign that will show all men, all people, that you are Christ's disciples if you follow this commandment out of a love for Christ. Now, while we should love... While we should love all people... We should love even our enemies, right? God is good to all people, good or evil. We should love our enemies as well. We should love those who are not Christians as well as those who are Christians. We should especially and more closely love our fellow disciples, having this brotherhood in Christ. Jesus said, love one another as I have loved you. So he's speaking especially to Christians. And it's the shared love among fellow disciples that even the world will see and recognize as a mark of being Christ's disciples. Christ's disciples are those people that love each other. This is the mark of those who follow Christ. And so this is a consequence. This is a fruit. This is a good thing. It's also an additional motive. Let us do this commandment. Let us heed the words of our Lord, and most importantly, let us meditate upon the love that we have received from Christ and hold that fast by faith, and as a fruit of that faith, love one another.
that the world might know that we are Christ's disciples, that our Lord also would be obeyed, that his example would be followed, that we might show gratitude for the grace that he has given us as we follow him. To remember the commandment of the Lord Jesus, remember the love of the Lord Jesus. Let us pray. Dear Father, we thank you for your Son. And O Son, O Lord Jesus, we give thanks to you for coming to us in our need and in our doom that you have laid down your life for us in these ways recorded in Scripture long ago, and that being raised to life and now exalted in heaven on high, we pray that you would draw us near to you to make us like you, that we might share in your love and love you and love your people, that you would bind us together in this love, that all people might recognize us as those who are following you, however feebly, that you would work among us powerfully by your grace to revive us and to work this among us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.